podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Whistleblowers Podcast. Hey, do you like football? Well, you're in luck because this is a podcast about football. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Martin Gritton. Hello, Martin. Hey, Mark. Great to be back. Hey, man. And also, as ever, with Gareth Dobson. Dobbo. Hey, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, thanks for asking, actually, Gareth. Grits didn't ask. Gareth did. That's a that's a clear sign of the sort of men we're dealing with and their differences. Um, let's get straight into it because there's lots to talk about and we're on limited time. Um, Gareth, I want to start with Spurs. You're a Spurs fan. Let's talk about them. Um, I keep hearing that Gareth Bale is back. I'm not completely convinced yet, but that looked better from both him and from Spurs uh, generally, didn't it, against Burnley? Yeah, I think so. He, he's back in a fashion. I think this is him getting quite close to as good as we're going to get, which is he looks sharp and engaged and, you know, and, 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 and he has played well. So he's obviously never going to be the player he was a few years ago. But I think this version of Gareth Bell, if he can keep it up and put a run of games together, you know, he, he can contribute to both England and, sorry, both Spurs. And as I suspect, oh, England. Uh, it's all times nicely for Wales going to the Euros, isn't it? Yeah. Is that us being a bit cynical, though? Yes, but I also think that he, his agent are quite cynical. And it's totally fair. You know, this happens yeah. all the time. Players go to clubs with a view for, you know, yeah. their upcoming summer. They have big international... Oh, yeah, but hang on, so, hang on, hang on. Gareth, Gareth, normally it happens because a player wants to get into contention for playing for their country. Gareth Bale is Wales. He could turn up to Spurs. He could have a cigar on throughout games. He's still going to captain Wales at the Euros, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think he probably feels that... They need him at his best in his best place for them to, you know, to make a mark on a tournament. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's obviously still an incredibly important player who can pull those little bits of magic out. So I, I feel that, you know, as goes the, you know, the the infamous banner, uh, Wales, Golf and Spurs, as it now is in that order, that that's probably is the case. But Spurs will take it. You know, if he's the third best of those three attackers, then it's a pretty nice situation to be in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Grits, um, are we looking too too much into this? Uh, do we need more than a, a top-level performance against a, frankly, really awful Burnley side before we can start saying confidently Gareth Bale is anywhere near either back or anywhere near the level that we're expecting? Well, it's interesting that they, they went with more than the usual quite conservative attacking options that Jose goes for, and, and they actually played a few attackers, and I think that's where you get the, bo- the best of Bell. You know, yes. when it, it certainly plays the playoff, um, it actually freed up uh, Kane to play a little bit more like he does. I always yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. kind of everyone's kind of on his back and he's carrying a lot of the weight but it, it really felt spread out and it allows Bale to come in and out of these games he doesn't have to be the main man but he can turn it on and off and I just I genuinely think with him it is match time I think you know the sharpness yeah. coming back I think Burnley would just do their usual Burnley performance every five games they'll just get out of yeah, the top yeah. they just fall apart <laughs> because I don't know what happens to them but they, it's just it's guaranteed you can tell with, within the first five minutes you can tell as soon as they, the goal goes in they all just go well that's there's no plan b so let's just yeah, yeah. shock it off and we'll worry about it next it's week. weird isn't it because 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 me and tarkovsky can look unbelievable at the back sometimes it, it can just look so compact so solid so impossible to break through then like you say every four or five games it's you know five nil to city or it's four nil to spurs or whatever it is um 
But Grits, you mentioned there about Bale sort of coming in and out of games. He's always been like that, hasn't he? This isn't an age thing. Because I remember when he, even when he was, you know, the top boy at Spurs first time round, and then at Real Madrid. He's not a player that you've got to keep an eye on for ninety minutes. He's someone that plays in ten minute bursts, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an energy performance, isn't it? It's usually he can he can turn the game. But I, th- I think he quite enjoyed previously. I think he quite enjoyed that pressure. Enjoyed being the main man and being able to kind of those little moments, little world class. Uh, yeah, and, you know, yeah. just skill that would win that match, but he doesn't have to do that anymore. You know, that's why sometimes he looks a little bit lost because he has got this kind of, you know, the, the the mannerisms and the body shape of someone that's just a little bit indifferent to Ona. Yeah, when you say body shape, I assume you mean sort of his his body language, rather demeanor. Than, sorry, you're yeah, not, you're yeah, not yeah. The fat lad, are you? He's just you know, he's you? just cash. He's just casual. You know, oh God, yeah. I mean, like, let's you know, after what lockdown has done to my already <laughs> disintegrating <laughs> health, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm in no yeah. position to judge. Uh, like, I've not uh, seen you for ages, Grace. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued massive. as to what I'm going to see. I'm just like I'm. I'm literally laid on like a jab of the hut style Shay Long at the minute, just you know, crying into just the junk food that I'm, that I'm eating on a Monday. You know, really good there's stuff. Painting some beautiful pictures here. I'll uh, come back. I'll t- I'll, I've got I've got another one in me. An Indian summer. Don't you worry, mate. I'm going to come back. Hundred percent believe that. Um, <laughs> Gareth, are you? Uh, I asked you a few weeks ago um, how confident you were of Spurs getting top four. Does a home win against Burnley give you any more confidence? Uh, not particularly. I do think that it may be a little too far for Spurs now. Admittedly, they have a game in hand on all the teams in the top four, and they're playing Fulham uh, midweek, who, yeah, even though they're playing reasonably well, Spurs should expect to win that. So that would obviously you know put them within a win, but the issue with all the teams from you know probably sixth place downwards as they've been so brutally inconsistent that you know you just you just can't see it happening um yeah Spurs I think are very similar to teams like Villa Arsenal and Everton and um they're probably the one team I think of that group who should feel that they have you know failed to succeed I I think they have the best squad of that of that fist of teams and you know it was a squad that was put together to finish in the top four um, the only, yeah, you know, the the question is, you know, if Spurs win Europa League or, or or the League Cup, will that be a successful season? I, I don't think so. I, I think this is a team that is now geared towards the Champions League. That's what the stadium has been built for. That's what this particular squad's been put together for. Okay. So, um, it's going to be tricky. Okay, interesting then. So, if I was to give you the option of Spurs finish top four and get Champions League, or Spurs finish seventh but win the Europa to go through to the Champions League, which one would you prefer? Or do you just not really care at that point? So the technicality of the Europa pitch in the Champions League means I would go for the Europa League. But yeah, I yeah. think otherwise, if it was you know just the League Cup, I would say I'd probably take the Champions League. And Yes, definitely. Uh, it's, I mean, that's just the nature of things. You, you can then improve your squad. You can then bring yeah. in to players. And that's, you can that's have a really good point. Next year. Yeah, it's the Cup. Is the, is the Cup Winners' Cup the last, or the UEFA Cup, the last trophy you lot won, Gareth? I can't uh, remember. Am I the being... 2008 cup. was the League Cup. The last oh, yeah. two trophies Spurs have won have been the League Cups in 99 and um, 2008. Oh, right. yeah. yeah, I'm just Gareth. completely ignoring those. So I have a great Chris, spot. Chris, as a player, if you were still playing now, you're in the prime of your life, and a team comes, uh, comes knocking on your agent's door, and they say, hey, look, we've... Um, 
we're, we're Tottenham Hotspur, we're in the Champions League next year, do you want to sign for us? Does that make more of a big deal, more, more of an impression on you than if they said, hey, we're Tottenham Hotspur, we won the League Cup last year? <laughs> yeah, of course, because the Champions League is the, the pinnacle. And also, you know, winning it in this way, there's a, there's, there's a certain glory in the knockout competitions, isn't there? I mean, how much, how much fun was the, the Champions League when Spurs and Liverpool were going for that mark? We, we managed to catch some of the... the the, the, the winning last minutes. 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, just, and yeah. that lives long in the memory and the chance to have those sort of occasions. I always thought that going up through the playoffs uh, in the lower leagues uh, to get yeah, up, yeah. there was a certain, you know, there's a certain romance to that. And I don't If you can guarantee it, you'd always pick the day out, wouldn't you? If you yeah, can guarantee exactly. you were going to win it. Because, you know, what, what else is football about if it's not about moments? And, and you know, it, it is that thing of... I was there or, you know, I was in a pub watching when we scored the winner in the 93rd, you know, whatever it is, rather than, oh, we've got Champions League and then we sort of played our youth team for the last five games. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a great achievement, but it's, you know, you want that, uh, that, that immediacy of a big moment like that. I think there's nothing, that's what football's all about, isn't it? That's what, that's what we love about it. Um, Gareth, let's talk about Burnley, other side of the coin. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, look, the only, I'm going to talk about them because they're now only five points clear of Fulham, Brighton and behind them and Newcastle. So it looks like they've all been dragged into this, this battle that we never saw coming. Like we, I don't think we ever saw Fulham getting this hard to beat and this good at the back. Are Burnley in trouble? Are they actually in trouble from what you saw against Spurs? Do you think that's a team that could go down? Yes. I suspect that, you know, it's really going to come home to roost next season. I think that's, that's going to be maybe the, the year too far. I feel that, they're more likely to pull out those two or three key wins than, than Brighton or maybe even Newcastle. Um, I do yeah. think that even five points ahead of Fulham now may be too much. Um, but it's it's more of a long-term situation for me. That you know, the, There is a new board, um, new owners, and already there is rumblings that it might not be the situation that they were hoping for in terms yeah. of yeah. turnaround and finance. And, um, you know, while I don't think Sean Dyche is going to necessarily walk away. He's probably looking at this ever thinning squad an aging squad thinking, well, how do I do this again and again and again? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's important to, to not, to not really get carried away with it. I mean, Burnley have been in the league for a number of years now, but it seems to be miraculous every time, doesn't it? Rich, yeah. is it? Oh, sorry. Go on, Gareth. No, I was going to say each year it's even more impressive. And yeah, you know, even though they seem to finish slightly lower down the table each time, I don't know if that's true, that's what it feels like, it, it can't <laughs> take away that. Their, their uh, transfer policy has been you know, essentially nil. You know, They don't yeah. bring anyone in. They're all free transfers. They bring some, play, some players through the, the youth system. But to, to keep doing it year on year is incredible. But at some point, it's going to you know, stop quite brutally, I suspect. Yeah, Grits... Um... I mean, is there a smaller club in the league than than Burnley? Oh, I mean, no disrespect to Burnley, by the way. I mean, this, they're doing an incredible job. But is is there a smaller club there? Are there a smaller club yeah. in the league? With all due respect to them, I think you know Crystal Palace always seemed like quite a provincial sort of smaller club. And yeah, Palace is a know, bigger club than Burnley. Come on, with, come on, yeah, yeah but the, yes, listen, well, in terms of ambition and certainly budget, that Palace have been a little bit and history as well. Yeah, but. Yeah, I suppose so. I, well, it's just that the the part of the furniture now, Burnley. I totally agree that um, yeah. you know that, that they've been 
they've been greater than some of their parts to stay up over the last few years. But there's definitely, it just shows you the scope for improvement there. It's, it yeah. doesn't seem like it'd be a great stretch. And also all this money, I, I really think that the money that they've lost out on probably hurts clubs like that a lot more. Um, just because, they, you know, they probably relied on that income from match days uh, and just having fans. So we'll, we'll see yeah, what yeah. happens. And if the Premier League tries to level the playing field for some of these teams with the broadcast money, I don't know. How, I, I'm assuming they can't change that at all. But that's such a huge pot for them to still draw upon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of their running costs are absorbed by that. But um, yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to see Burnley with one or two key players because what Sean Dice does is he he gets the most out of the players that he has, but the, the, the amount of work that they get through... It, ma- it makes you think that they're doing the right things on the training pitch. You know, he gets the most out of what he's got. So, you know, apart from every blip, like we've just spoken about a moment ago. Yeah, but I mean, that's fine, isn't it? Because the other four yeah. games out of five are pretty solid. Um, okay, let's move on. I want to talk about Leicester uh, against Arsenal because that was the early game on Saturday. But it could have been a great weekend for Leicester because United dropped points, West Ham lost, uh, Chelsea dropped points, obviously. Only Liverpool won out of that lot. Obviously, Man City were there. They're, they're a million miles away anyway. But Leicester being 1-0 up and then dropping that to Arsenal, I, I'm starting to worry, particularly given the injuries to Johnny Evans and the more serious-looking one to Harvey Barnes, that is this going to be Leicester falling off a cliff again? Grits, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, th- I really... <laughs> I felt for them uh, on Saturday. You know, I'm a big fan of Brendan Rodgers, you know, from his Celtic time, but also just what he's done at that club. And I think you could, it's not the wheels have fallen off, but maybe they've run out of gas, certainly. But the wheels coming off might be the next stage. Uh, Barnes is such a crucial one because he seemed to have the momentum. He seemed to be one of those players that was going to be the uh, a shining star of the season, you know, emerging talent and kind of fulfilling yeah. that potential. Um, but you just can't, you can't get away with it at this level, and Arsenal seem to, you know, beginning to get their their, their act together. And well, we always say that though. we keep saying this, and then the next week they'll they'll do something appalling. But I'd say that with Leicester, it was Leicester playing badly rather than Arsenal playing great. You know, yeah. and, and, I, and I felt for them. You know, without Madison, just looking at the balance of the team, and um, you know, he's still not really found a player that can support Vardy or, you know, Perez in any in, in actual is it's neither like, of them, is it? Neither of them. And and you know, it's um it's just it's just a shame really because you know that the the they're so close and you're absolutely right. The results went in their favour this weekend. Yeah, could have been a good weekend. Uh, Gareth, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is Jamie Vardy not scoring against Arsenal. Uh, and that's what happened at the weekend. He didn't manage to score. Um are you fearful for them? Uh, more than that, he didn't have a shot on target. Uh, even I think a shot, let alone a shot on target against Arsenal. And it's the, it's you know incredibly rare. I think it's only the second time this season. Um, I do, I I do fear for them um, purely because of similar to Burnley. Really, the, the mountain injuries. Um, it feels like every week they just lose key man after key man. Um, you know, losing Fafana, I think, was a big deal. And, you know, so Soyuncu uh, comes in, but then suddenly, you know, Ev- Evans comes off and they're going to be, you know, short of a centre-back for a few weeks. Um, like, you know, you obviously touched that Barnes is out for at least six weeks already, they're saying, which... Oh, I've not heard that. But, right, OK. Yeah, so straight after, as I said, you know, he needs an operation. It's going to be a minimum of six weeks. And that's that's pushing you right towards the end of the season. Um, and it's, it's a shame because when they... Uh, exited the Europa League on Thursday, it was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the worst thing. They can cement this top four position. And then suddenly you look up and it feels like, yeah, again, every week uh, 
a player goes down and they don't have a squad that big. You know, it's, it's pushed to its limits already. There's only so many able replacements who can come in. So if they don't qualify for Champions League, I, you know, I feel it's not going to be of their of their doing. I think they'll have been very unfortunate. And then the other interesting thing is, is the run-in is... Um, they have uh, Spurs and Chelsea, and I think Manchester United is their last three games of the season. Yeah, it's United away, then Chelsea, and then uh, then Spurs. Very difficult. Very very to difficult. To get it done before then. Let's get it done. And this is the thing, though. They they might do because the next three games are Burnley away. We've already discussed. You know, they probably won't fall apart, but they are beatable. Brighton away. I'm a big fan of Brighton, but again, beatable. And Sheffield United at home. Now, there's every chance to get nine points from there at which point you've got to put them firmly in the driving seat again haven't you this is the thing with this season is that it changes week by week it honestly feels like Liverpool won this this weekend and now we're talking about well they'll definitely get top four that's a definite 100% they're going to get top Mm. four only a couple of points off but it can change again in in, in three days time agreed but I do think that um, you know like you said nine points would be brilliant but even if it's only four points out of nine you can see Liverpool and Chelsea you know eating up that that gap very quickly potentially and you know leaving Leicester out on their out on their derriers you know looking at a very tricky very tricky running I, I do think um so a stat I heard today which I I wasn't aware of and actually you know to my shame I think indicates that they've probably had a better year than I think they do they haven't been out of the top four all season yeah they've yeah. been in situ so it's that thing where you know if you lose it on the last couple of weeks it's going to be even more heartbreaking mm. but um I don't know. I have a sneaking suspicion that, you know, Liverpool, I, I just feel we're going to we'll grind their way in. And um, Chelsea already looking like that kind of second phase Chelsea. Whenever they have a bad period, they then seem to have this kind of 12 month run of, you know, looking exceptionally good and sort of grinding out wins. You know, their quick turnover of management always seems to work, at least in the short term. So, yeah, I. I'm fearful for Leicester, unfortunately. Uh, Grits, Leicester City, if, let's say if, hypothetically, they don't get Champions League this season, I think it could be a bit of an issue for them keeping some of their key players. I'm looking at the likes of Ndidi, maybe Harvey Barnes, maybe a couple of others who might be of a certain age where they want to start playing Champions League football. Ndidi's 24, so he's going to have some good years coming up. Harvey Barnes is a lot younger than that. But, the thing with Leicester is that their recruitment is so good, mm. and it is so good. It's one of the best in the league, I think, that they must think whoever they let go, they can replace at a fraction of the price. So it feels like for Leicester, they can be, even if they don't get Champions League, it seems to be an opportunity every time a window comes around. Whereas for a lot of teams, it feels like a burden. You know, It feels like a real, lot of hard work. Leicester seems completely different to me. Yeah, they're set up. They're set up the right way, aren't they? I think um, the recruitments were great, but also the their ability and they're willing to risk it on bringing new talent through. And um, you're Brilliant. absolutely right, though. The the pressure that they might be under having invested so heavily in the in the training facilities and setting the club up, but they've got the right the right manager to bring players through as well. So and um, they've got a fair pot in the bank of the money that they've made on these players. And yeah, I still yeah. think that, that there's a fair bit of investment that could be done. Um, yeah, you're right. It, it would be cruel to see them miss out. Um, so close to the end of the season because that's that's how it might go particularly as, as Gareth says with, with Chelsea being the kind of crushing um, I, I suppose juggernaut that will come through because yeah, yeah. Liverpool are going to do it and Chelsea just have that strength and depth you know that because let's let's 
face it, after Easter, things are going to be, you know, very fraught. The threadbare squads are going to be even more overplayed. So, uh, you know, let's see, let's see how, uh, how yeah. they do. I'm just looking at this table now and it's just like that. There are some enormous teams that aren't in the top four at the minute. I mean, it's, it must be taught to be in a West Ham or Leicester fan because it's like, well, West Ham in particular, that they're, they're performing so far above what we expected, but Leicester think, you know, we probably do deserve to be here at this point. And yeah, it could start falling apart. And as soon as the fans start thinking that it's not a huge leap, I know they're not in the stadium, but it's not a huge leap to, to realize that actually, Sometimes the players are thinking that as well, aren't they, Grits? As a player, you must also sort of cave a little bit to the pressure from outside. Yeah, it's the inevitability. It's always difficult. It's always it's always difficult being the team in the playoff spots, watching other teams with the momentum catching you up. And that's the last place you want to be doing, looking over your shoulder. Yeah, anything to add to that, Gareth? Or should we go to a break? So a very quick one. Um, I was thinking about Brendan Rodgers because he's the perennial, I think, favourite to be appointed as a Spurs manager if, if Mourinho, uh, when Mourinho gets the heave-ho at some point. So I, I guess you know, the question I'm on, do you think if he was managing this Spurs team, he would have them above Leicester right now? Who are you asking? Uh, both of you, either of you. Um, uh, would, yes, I do. I think, I, think the, I think the Spurs side, I think the Spurs squad is stronger than Leicester's and I think purely down to the fact that Rogers he's not a swashbuckling attacking manager by any stretch he wouldn't let the hand break off entirely but he's certainly more attack minded with more attacking instincts I think than than Jose and I think that Spurs squad set up for it so yes I do I do think that uh, Spurs would be ahead of uh, Leicester at this point in time injuries you know all injuries and stuff considered thanks Go grits. Let's get a break. <laughs> All right, have a bloody break, shall we? Right, we'll be back in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hope you enjoyed your little break. I don't even know if you have a break anymore. I've lost track of what happens. Do you get adverts? Do adverts exist? Is the podcast going out? Is it just just, just for us? It's just us three. Just us three having a little chat. <laughs> I've not pressed record. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, listen. On this podcast, we've been really good, I think, for the last year in terms of we don't we don't get stuck into referees we don't moan on about var we don't really do that i don't think we've done it very often at least i can't remember any times we've really talked about it at any sort of length and i think that's a really good thing because i think it, it can get quite boring quite quickly and also i think there's a, a such a temptation for broadcasters particularly bt sports sky sports to sort of focus on mistakes rather than what you've seen in the game but the weekend we've just had gareth the weekend we just had grits, 
we've got to talk about it, haven't we? We've got to finally talk about referees on this show. I thought both Lee Mason and the whole Stuart Atwell uh, palaver was just appalling. I thought everything about every aspect of both those performances were really appalling. And I still can't believe that the richest league in the world with the most viewers in world sport still can't get good enough people to officiate it, even with VAR there as well. The whole point of VAR was to take the, the human nature out of it, take emotion out of it. And I cannot think of worse performances than this. And this is in stadiums with no fans in. Talk me through it. Someone help me out here. I, Gareth, are we right to talk about this? Or is, or is it just... I, I think there are, yeah, there are some weeks where it does... Yeah, it does dominate the talking points and, and you can't get away from it. And what I think is quite impressive, you, you mentioned VAR, that the referees are apparently finding ways to create situations that even VAR can't solve, which is really impressive. I mean, Very the, impressive. The, the, the disallowed uh, or yeah, the disallowed goal by Lewis Dunk. is. Well, let's talk about that one. Let, let's start with the Lewis Dunk one then. So talk us through it, Gareth, as far as you know, as far as you remember. What the fuck? What the fuck happened there? <laughs> what happened? Well, he blew his whistle for its play event. It's almost like he turned around, he looked, he saw the keeper was completely out of position. Essentially, you know, things hadn't been reset, as it were. And he blew his whistle again to be like, oh, I've changed my mind. But I think the moment you blow the whistle the first time, you know, if you're Brian, you have every right to expect for that goal to, to stand. And yeah. What's sort of interesting is that this seems to be a new thing. Like it, 15, 10, 15 years ago, the idea of the quick free kick was almost a, you know, it was something that you could play to and you could make the most of. I remember there was a, a fairly infamous Thierry Henry one against Chelsea where he takes a very quick free kick. And yes. at the time, we were like, yeah, it's brilliant. It's great thing. And he specifically says to the referee, can I take this? Can I take this? The referee's like, sure. And it's not... It's not aging and abetting, but it's referee saying, look, you know, you're making the most of a, a situation, you're being sharp, go for it. And now it's almost like they're so concerned about the controversy that they're like, okay, no, we're just not doing this. And obviously, inadvertently by blowing the whistle twice, he's created an impossible situation. And he yes, should have had yes. the courage of his convictions and said, I blew the whistle the first time, and maybe that wasn't the right call, but I blew the whistle, so it stands, deal with it. Grits, is that the way you remember it happening, or is this like a wherever you are nine eleven thing, where your memory changes over the years? Uh, do you know what? It's just so annoying. The thing, the annoying thing is, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like we're all watching. It's like some pantomime where we're all watching, going, "He's behind you," and everyone knows. <laughs> everyone's like, "No, that this is what's happened there. This is what's happened there. Just get a grip, get a grip." And it's like the referees are completely immune from the, it's like the they're so far away from being able to see what the right decision is. And it's just like, it's infuriating because these are the people that are entrusted with doing it. And I don't know if this is it. The, the, the system doesn't work, right? I totally believe that VAR, there has to be, uh, the video technology has to be used, but it's been deployed so poorly. And just having the person, some, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but it has to be like a, just a sense check on the video going, no, you, I mean, you completely <laughs> fucked that up. Lee, 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 yeah, and, Lee, Lee. And, talk, and embarrass, talk them through it, make them have to come on a grovelling apology and just talk. But, why, talk but I don't get this, it. I don't get this, that there are much harder games to officiate than football. I think we all agree on that. Rugby union, uh, NFL, really hard, 
really difficult, really complicated, complex rules. Football isn't really like that. Yes, you can you can dig down into it, you can drill down and find find the more obscure things. But generally speaking, it's far easier to to officiate. Now, in both those sports, as in uh, the case with most sports in the world that have any sort of um, third party camera stuff, VAR or whatever. You get you get told as an audience member watching on TV and as a punter in the stands, you get told what is going on because you hear every aspect of their conversation. You hear their logic. So even if you disagree with it, you still go, oh, OK, I, I, I get where they're coming from. At the minute, it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. And it is embarrassing. And I remember when VAR first started, we were all moaning about, well, when you're at the game, you don't know what's happening. It's ridiculous for a fan at the game, a paying yeah. fan at the, at yeah. the ground who can't work it out. I'm paying for Sky Sports still. I don't know what's going on, and I've got yeah. I've got the TV. The commentators don't know what's going on. I find it completely humiliating as a as someone who represents football in in stuff that I do for work. That people who aren't really into the sport just think it's a laughing stock. They think, well, what, what you do is part of a laughing stock, and it's humiliating. <laughs> it, I, I think that's actually a very good point about um, sort of the culpability of the referees and this idea that in football still. They want them to appear to be infallible. They don't want to ever admit when they've made a mistake. The other two sports you've mentioned, they will say, we looked at the decision and retrospectively it was the wrong call, especially in a lot of America's yeah. sports, NFL yeah. in particular. They yeah. say, okay, we reviewed that. We got it wrong. We're going to learn from it next time. But for whatever reason, there's this kind of sense that the referee still has to be the ultimate, the highest power and we will never, ever say we completely screwed the pooch there. Um, yeah. And I think that that's the infuriating thing. If I do genuinely believe that if there was like a, you know, a weekly match referee report that came out publicly and said, you know, this was given, the referee said it was because of this, but in fact, upon review, it didn't work. You know, it didn't work. And yeah. Again, that's the way it is, but that, I don't think that's ever going to happen. It, it seems. Could, to be couldn't they have? Sorry, go on. Uh, football and that's uh, yeah, it's not going to change. But on on BT Sport, they have um, an ex-ref who comes on. Uh, what's his name? Peter. Oh, whoever it is, an ex-ref comes on, and he, and he talks through decisions, and it's like, oh, well, what uh, would Walton. you have done? Yeah, that's it, Peter Walton. And he says, oh, I've done this and this and this. Well, the referee got it wrong. He rarely says that. But he normally says, oh, the referee got it right, and this is why. Could they not have someone who is currently working with the Referees Association who can talk through it? He can be the face of referees, and he can give you those, whether they be uh, explanations or or sort of roots of logic that they've taken or even apologies. Just someone. Because at the moment, no one from the Referees Association turns up at any point anywhere They've got to be retired for 10 years before they can do it. It, it. it doesn't make any sense. And there's, I mean, Luke Shaw, we'll talk about the Stuart Atwell one in a minute, but Luke Shaw came on and he, he says what he thinks he's heard someone say on the pitch from the referee. And, and you go, well, this is this has muddied the water even more. This is so complicated now, so confusing. And still a referee won't come out and say anything. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> the, the, right. First of all, have you ever seen that character, the person you're describing, Mark? Have you ever seen him in any sport? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of someone that is authoritative, that can get a point across with enough charm and divisive, just cleverly put forward the correct answer. And those, I don't think that person exists. I mean, look at the way football set up. The PFA. The PFA, listen, I'm, I'm a great They need someone the who works for the... They need someone who's like a... They let Gordon Taylor be the blooming spokesperson for that 20, 30 years. The, the sport is not 
<laughs> set up to make the decisions based on. Yes. Not the need, Grits. They What's need someone the who who has worked for the pro cigarette lobby for thirty years, <laughs> who can come <laughs> on and go. defend. <laughs> defend it seems in defense. That works. I'm not even really like, joking. Well, that that is what, a way of doing it. I tell you, one of the most interesting things. Probably the person does exist. Someone like Howard Webb. Howard Webb would be the perfect person to get on. Do you know why he doesn't want to do it? And I don't blame him because I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole either. Who would no. want to be that guy? What would this oh, yeah, but let's, not this that's the problem? No. No, I'm not having that because uh, who would want to be a referee? This is my issue. This is <laughs> this is where we're really drilling into it. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, but I'm obviously winding you up. Yeah, I know, but I just I, it disappoints me that that you're absolutely right, Gareth, when you say like the set the system's not set up for them to be fallible. So at the moment we can acknowledge that. But then there's so much at stake now, and literally people's jobs come down to these decisions. So, therefore, if no one wants to stick their dick on the line. Do you know yeah, what I mean? But, and, but help them out then. This is the point, isn't it? We know a referee today compared to a referee 30 years ago, because the financial implications of everything that happens, because, like you say, people's jobs are on the line because of a bad result, bad performance, three points, one point, naught points, whatever it is. So let's help them out. Let's help them out with a system that works. I mean, at the minute, VAR is making it much more difficult for everybody, and it seems to also be taking culpability away from the ref. I think you should be you should be the person, Mark. Let's let's lobby hard. You're you're the voice of the common man. You're the you know yeah, that's true. You're, you're that guy. You're just one, you're one that guy. I'd like to touch upon on this in in terms of you know helping them out. You had the brilliant irony of uh, of of Solskjaer sitting there going oh you know uh, referees are being too influenced by outside forces such as VAR and yeah. so forth while he sits there as an outside force piling pressure upon pressure Absolutely on the right. referee with you know not a hint of irony and you know I appreciate it's it's part of in his head it's part of the game I, I think Solskjaer is one of the managers who has quickly started eating up this whole, you know, it's them against us and he loves to spin a narrative and a story. Um, but you can't sit there saying referees are, you know, are being influenced by all these forces while sitting there and giving them pelters. And it, 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 it is a, right. a, a clown show because on the other side, you, you have two cool going, well, it would have been a travesty if it was a penalty. You know, how it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like U.S. politics. You know, you have to choose one side or the other, and both are so polarised that neither make oh. any sense. It, it's, it's, you're absolutely right, Gareth. And I, I, as Solskjaer was saying that, I was thinking, well, you are feeding into this entirely. You, you're now putting pressure on referees to give you a penalty next time. The best thing to do would have been to, you know, question it, but certainly not go on about a narrative about how referees are now against us or teams have have tried to influence referees it's, it's just it's just nonsense um let's talk about that at well one very quickly um so just a one word from either one of you uh, or from both of you actually gareth is that a penalty maybe grits didn't see it didn't see it oh god thanks for coming on the show grits jesus christ Listen, mate, I've got to me gareth to i watched you lots of to games do. i watched lots of games do you know what i went with my gut and i was right it wasn't worth watching so don't worry about it <laughs> we're talking about the next 20 minutes so strap, strap in uh, for me gareth grits you can go on i don't know make a cup of tea or something i gareth, was making one as we were speaking anyway, <laughs> for me on this on no planet do i think that should be a penalty kick right it just shouldn't be a penalty kick. I mean, to me, a penalty should be something that is just a definite foul in the box. 
maybe accidental, but certainly not something like we saw from Hodgson and Doy there. However, going by all the criteria of a handball, particularly this season, I don't understand how it's not been given. Mm. I don't I don't get it. Take, taking out the stuff that Stuart Atwell may or may not have said to Harry Maguire, forget that for the minute, I just can't understand how he's been instructed to go and look at it on the, the monitor and then decided, no, it hasn't. It hasn't warranted the penalty. Everything you need for, for on the checklist for a handball, it, it wasn't a natural position. His hand went towards the ball. I just, I just don't get it. So, uh, do, do you understand why it wasn't? Um, not really. I do think that uh, handball is easily the most contentious VAR situation. Um, it's, it's been the one that I think has led to the most outcry because even though handball is in theory a black and white did it or did it not hit then you get into the interpretation of intent and that that's where VAR doesn't work VAR is factual as it were it's did this or did this not happen and then suddenly you have to start factoring elements where you're trying to work out you know the mindset of a player whether he moved his arm or whether in fact you know the arm was not in a position that was natural and what is natural natural it, it's it's created an additional web of of insanity but one of the more interesting things that has kind of started to happen in the last couple of weeks is usually when a referee is instructed to come look at the video screen it's it's a fair complete it means that they're saying we want you to overturn your decision and yeah. previously it almost happened like clockwork and then there's been at least two instances this week, maybe one last week, where the referee went over, had another look, and went, I'm still not convinced we're staying. That's a, that's a good are. thing. I think that's a good thing, though, right? No, that's a positive thing. So. I, I agree, yeah. because, you know, it's, uh, well, it's also more dramatic, because you think, oh, he's going to overturn it. And Anything then he comes back and like, nope, I'm sticking as is. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, VAR is only going to work in tandem with the referee's discretion, I think. They need to work out how that yeah how that happens we're still relatively early on in the life of var it's not going anywhere because we've now seen that it can be really beneficial just for the game as a whole and but i was going to say as an, as an unpopular opinion i think var has generally worked i do and has probably uh saved more key decisions than not this is it we're talking about you know it's the big decisions that it always gets right you know it's almost like the super key game turning moments if that's what you want it for it's you know, and I think by and large it has helped that. You know, nobody wants to concede goals which are offside, and you know, most right. of the time, almost you know, all the time, it gets those rights. And the Lewis Dunk one wasn't a VAR decision; it was it was a refereeing error. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one with United, what annoyed me about Solskjaer in that as well was that this is the twelfth minute; the penalty wasn't given, and he's, he said we've you know we've lost two points because of it. Now, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Yeah. All the all the ref has done there is 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 retain the status quo. He's, he's not drastically changed the game it's not like united have gone a goal down because of a dodgy decision no no it's nil nil you carry on that, them not getting a penalty is not an excuse for them not really creating enough chances to win the game so i, I think that's just that's just nonsense isn't it and, 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 a, and a manager to uh to try and pull the wool over your eyes that way i think is a bit out of order Oh, he's. I mean Solskjaer is an absolute bluffer i'll be honest he uh, I, I love i love him for that though he he has you know, he goes and he talks out of the game as he chooses to sit. What I'm most interested in, and, you know, we'll never find out why, is that he obviously goes, plays these bigger teams, and he sets up for a draw. He stifles the game. You know, they haven't conceded any goals against the top six all season, by and large, and they haven't scored any. And what I want to know is whether he 
you know, lives and dies by the mantra. Well, you know, the league is won by your results against all the teams beneath you. It's about you have mm-hmm. to beat the other 14 or 15 teams. And then, you know, suddenly these crunch games against Man City and Chelsea and whoever are less important. And whether he has just gone and going, look, we'll just take a draw now. We'll just try and beat everyone else and we'll take a draw. And yeah. that probably is enough. For, here's the thing. That's probably enough for second place. And that's fine. However, if you look where Man City are, this was a game they absolutely had to go and win. They have to go and try and win every game. Unless he's already said, you know, second's the best result Man United have had since Ferguson left. I'll take it. I'm I'm happy with that. Well, Jose got second for him as well. But but you're you're absolutely right. Man City go out and win those games every time. And if I think do Manchester United think that it's enough that their manager is going into those games with, with that outlook? Well, I think they should think it's enough, uh, given the improvement this season compared to last. Um, I don't think they'd accept it next season if they were to build on their team in the summer. Um, what I think about United in those big games, I just think they, I just think the Spurs game at home, the 6-1, I think that scared the shit out of him. And I think he never wants to be that open again uh, against a rival. And I think it's just that. I think it is just still a hangover from that, even though that was, when was that, September. Yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see when Liverpool start to make up ground, and then when the fans demand that they finish above Liverpool this season, that will become there because because they will no longer be the chase. And he's decided. You're absolutely right. He's decided in the chase for Man City that it's not about chasing Man City. It's about cementing, solidifying, you know, guaranteeing second. But as soon as yeah, Liverpool yeah. start challenging that, I think I think the things could get really interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think for uh, I think if you were to offer a United fan before the season just a position above Liverpool, exactly, then, that's all they want. Yeah, yeah, they'd take it. I mean, you probably assume you'd have, you'd have won the league. Um, I'd, I'd be like that though as well. If I was a Man United fan, I'd be like, sorted it. You know, after all the gloat in the position Liverpool got themselves into, Man U, <laughs> the legacy piece, sorted it. They're not going to catch City, and the, the, he's being a pragmatist. He's being realistic, and for him to have shifted the or for the dial to have been shifted from Man City to be, Liverpool be the true opponents of Man United because City are you know a class out on their own, and people seem to be happy to accept that it's a weird thing isn't it I, I find that sort of yeah. mentality Liverpool always seem like a kind of bigger scalp to take whereas you know people have accepted City to be the, in the ascendancy yeah City are like the they're, they're new, again they're like they're quite a new well, certainly new in terms of being a powerhouse so they don't have that cachet yet alright you beat you beat Man City it's not like a it's not a big scalp to take is it the same way it is Liverpool or, it's weird or United that. still but or Arsenal even but that's the thing. If City win the Champions League, it puts them in a different category. I think. Absolutely, and, that, and it's so important for them to do that. But we, we need to discuss that. I would well, let's talk. Well, let's talk about Man City now. Let's talk about Man City now because they, the game against West Ham. West Ham have been brilliant the last few months, mm. as we know. The game against West Ham, they weren't great, but they showed another way of winning, didn't they? No one really shone going forward. Sterling wasn't playing. Foden came on late. And it was up to the centre backs to not only defend well but get on the score sheet. So, Grits, is, is yeah. that is that another aspect that they've got that the ability to grind teams out, uh, to grind wins out against teams that really defend well and deep? I'd say it was more a case of I I, I enjoyed how much Stones and Diaz uh, celebrated and how, what yes. it meant to both of them. And it, it, it was this thing where you know De Bruyne will always pull out those moments of class. It was so disjointed up front because that wasn't their normal attacking lineup and you know and, and it was really unsettled by Aguero coming back in because he needed it 
the, the minutes, but they had decided they were going to win that game in other departments. And to be honest, the biggest thing for them was being able to contain West Ham. Because West Ham really unsettled them at the start. And Antonio was phenomenal again. First half, he was just, he was such a such a menace, such a presence. Um, so so that, that was the most pleasing thing, the de- desire from their centre-halves to get there and almost the validation of their performances so far this season. Because they have become, they have emerged as a, a rock-solid partnership, but they've also come over and been in personal battles to either succeed other players or to, to prove people wrong. And I think Stones Stones has done that emphatically and, and it's um, it's it's a real, uh, you know, it's added a, a string to this Man City team that perhaps we weren't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that, Grits. Um, Gareth, uh, Man City the best team in the country. I don't think any of us uh, doubt that. Uh all things being equal, everyone playing well, in good form, are Man City the best team in Europe? Ignoring what Pep might do in the quarterfinal like he normally does and shit the bed. It, ignoring that, <laughs> just just player for player and the way that they play, who can compete with Man City at the moment across Europe? Uh, Bayern Munich, I, I think, are, are that team just because they have the best, uh, the best striker in the world um, and probably the best. They have such a coherent team and they have such a lovely balance of industry and flair and tactical nows. And they're incredibly exciting to watch when they when they go hell for leather. Um, I would always bet on this iteration of Bayern to beat to beat Man City. I think they just have more about them generally. But um, it's worth yeah. noting that they're only, they're only two points out of Leipzig, and um, Leipzig have you know they got battered by United at one point this season. It was a five nil Old Trafford. Um, so I mean, it's not like they're blowing away. Leipzig or even Wolfsburg in that division? No, and it's a good question because I don't think there is, apart from Bayern, I, I don't think there is that sort of standout or even that magical team. There isn't anything comparable to either the machine of Real for the last three years or the you know the beauty of that Pep uh, uh, Barcelona team from from ten years ago. There isn't really that that team sort of out there. You know. You, yeah, you know, teams like Juventus have kind of phased out now. Even though you know Ronaldo is still pushing hard, that's that's gone. And it's uh, yeah, I, I suspect this could be Man City's best chance of at least. I was just going to say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look around and they're just there. There isn't the oh three or four teams that could do it. I mean, PSG. They're the other okay, one. On the, on, yeah, on the day on could their do day something. Is the phrase, isn't it? I, I thought this season it could be Atletico, but you know the way Chelsea dealt with them was was um, a bit of a turn up in in uh, in my opinion anyway. But yeah, if if Man City, if not now for Man City, then when? I mean, Liverpool yeah, don't yeah. look like they're going to be a, a huge force in Europe. So yeah, is it Bayern Munich or Man City? I, I, I'm sort of torn on it because um, obviously I want the English clubs to do well, but at the same time, Man City don't, doesn't still feel like a real club to me. It, it still feels like the lottery winners. Um, <laughs> The gauche nouveau riche. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is another podcast entirely, isn't it? Talking about sports yeah. washing, but <laughs> oh yeah, let's uh, let's get yeah. Miguel back on for that one. We'll just let's wind get him Miguel up. back on. Wind right, let's leave it there. Out. Let's yeah. leave it there, chaps. Um, good stuff. Thank you for joining me, Gareth. Thank you for joining me, Grits. Thank you. Great job, Smudger. Great job. Where, where can we find you this week? Uh, uh mate, football three six five Thursday morning. Yeah. That's it, boy. Three six five two four two four seven. Uh, Gareth, where can we see you? What's going on? 
prepping up for a big summer of releases. We've got a whole bunch of records by artists sort of coming together, so you'll be hearing more about that soon. I imagine we can put a link to, to Gareth's stuff, can't we, Grits? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, lovely. All right, well, we'll be back uh, next Monday night with another episode of The Whistleblowers. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Tell your friends about it if you've got any, and if you haven't, just, uh, just try and be more outgoing, I suppose. Um, <laughs> nice one. Have a good time. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.